All right, let me, let me open our time in prayer, and we will uh, dive into Luke 23. Oh, Father, we thank you for, um, I, I thank you for this church and the, the warm fellowship that folks share here. And Father, what a joy it is to, to see our, our unity in Christ played out in our lives. And uh, Father, I, I thank you for um, your word and, and the time that we can have in it this morning. And I pray that you would reveal truth to us, uh, that, that would change us and uh, transform us, Father. We want to be transformed for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, Luke 23, we'll, we'll cover about the first half of it this morning. So just to kind of give you a little background on, on where we were last week. So the, Jesus was arrested and they started the, the trials. Uh, I, I kind of hesitate to even call them trials because there were so, so many things that were violated. But we, we covered the first three trials. They were kind of the religious trials last week. And now we'll, we'll, we'll get into the civil trials this week. So he'll go before Pilate and then Herod and then back to Pilate again. Um, so beginning with, with verse 1 of Luke 23, it says, Then the whole company of them arose and, and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So, who's the whole company? Who, who all would that include? So, it's the, the Pharisees are in there, and the Sadducees. So, it's, it's like the, it's the Sanhedrin, really, which is, is the Jewish leaders of that time. Um, it's going to be their whole whole group of them. Although, as we're going to learn later on, they weren't all there. There were some that had not participated in the, the trials and whatnot. Um, Joseph being the one that's pointed out, Joseph of Arimathea. Um, so who's this Pilate character? He's he's Roman, right? So he's we don't think he's a Jew. Um, he's the governor over Judea. Uh, he actually was the governor from AD twenty six to thirty six. Um, he normally would have been at Caesarea, which is over on the coast of the Mediterranean, but it's the Passover. So you've got all these Jews coming into Jerusalem. So he wanted to he needed to be there in Jerusalem to, to keep things in order. Because what was his objective as as the Roman governor? To keep things in order, right? He's he's supposed to make sure there are no conflicts that cause any big problems. What were the charges they brought against him? 
So there's three of them, right? The first one is, is what? Yeah, he, they say, you know, he's misleading our, our nation. I mean, they're, they're really trying to inflate this problem. You know, how many of the Jews were actually following him? It's a pretty small minority. So to say he's misleading the whole nation is, that's kind of ludicrous. And what's the second one? Yeah, you can't pay taxes. And then the third one is, oh, he claims to be a king. So, you know, he's misleading. They don't give any specific evidence. They wanted him to think Jesus was a big problem. He's misleading the whole nation, um, forbidding the taxes, and then and he's claiming to be the Messiah, a king. Um, why did they need to involve the Romans in this in this plot against Jesus? Yeah, they they wanted to. They wanted to have him killed, right? And as, as it's recorded in John, um, they were not allowed to execute anyone, so they needed Roman, a Roman conviction in order to eliminate him. Because, see, their goal was, if we can kill this guy, it shows that he's a false messiah, that he's not the real messiah. Because if he was the real messiah he would be the conquering king, right? They don't understand that he first had to be the suffering servant before he could be the conquering king. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. So what, what does he respond to their accusations? Well, there were three accusations. He skips the first two. I'm not worried about, oh, misleading the nation. Look, my my military can take care of of that problem. And taxes, well, nobody pays their taxes with a smile on their face. You know, nobody pays taxes, you know, just because they like it. Everybody is, is grudgingly paying taxes, so those things are not an issue. But the third one about claiming to be a king, okay, that has a little more weight to it. And it he raises the question. But Jesus doesn't really, he doesn't deny it or confirm it. He just says, well, you've said so. In John's passage, he records more of this discussion. So I want to jump over to John here in, in chapter 18. It says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? 
And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? So John gives us some additional details. Jesus basically confirms that, okay, I do have a kingdom, but it's not anything like what you think. It's not a kingdom by human standards, by worldly standards. It's a spiritual kingdom, and it's based on truth, not power. And uh, his purpose was to witness for this truth, and it was for those who would, would accept it, who would, who would believe truth. So he does confirm in a way that he does have a kingdom, but it's nothing like what Pilate thought a kingdom should be. So then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. So his response is pretty clear. He tells them, you know, look, go away. I find him innocent of any of these serious charges. You've failed to, to prove your case against Jesus. You know, leave this guy alone, you know. But they didn't like that response. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. And when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. So their reaction, it says they were, they were urgent. What is urgent? What does that mean? Other translations have a stronger term for it. They, they're insistent. So they're not going to give in to, to his claim that Jesus was innocent. They think he's a serious problem that warrants Pilate's attention. And then they bring up Galilee, and that, and that catches Pilate's attention. So the issue is that Herod is from Galilee. He's over Galilee. So who is Herod? And why would he be in Jerusalem? So this is is Herod, it's the Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. It's not the Herod that had the babies killed when Jesus was a baby. So that was his father. This is Herod Agrippas, excuse me, Herod Antipas, and um, the Roman governor over Galilee. He's the son of, 
of this guy who was called Herod the Great. And he's the one that had ordered the babies killed, but God had intervened and had Joseph take Jesus to Egypt when he was a, a baby, a small child, an infant, to avoid uh, being killed. So his point is, if, if Jesus was a Galilean, then he could pass this problem on to Herod because he was the governor over Galilee. Herod was known for his cruelty. He had had John the Baptist beheaded because John confronted his immorality. And it's a whole sordid story. Well, you won't get into the whole story, but Herod did claim to be a Jew, so he was probably in Jerusalem for the Passover. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So how does he respond to seeing Jesus? He's glad to see him, right? You see, he'd wanted to see him for a long time because following um, the beheading of John the Baptist, his execution, there was this, well, is, is this John being raised from the dead? I mean, there were these questions about who Jesus was. And so he had sought to see him, but Jesus had, had never gone to see him. And he says he was hoping to see some kind of miracle or sign performed by Jesus. Now, a principle out of this is that a relationship with Jesus occurs only when we submit to him and not when we seek to impose our will upon him. Herod wanted Jesus to, to do things his way instead of him submitting to Jesus. You can't have a relationship with Christ that's based on what you want. It has to be in submission to him, in obedience to him. So the dialogue between Jesus and Herod, it says, so he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priest and the scribe stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him, then arrayed him in splendid clothing, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. But before for before this, they had been at enmity with each other. So what's this trial with Herod like? It's not really a trial, is it? 
I mean, are there any witnesses? No. They're pushing him to self-incriminate himself, which was not allowed in their court system. They're treating him poorly. They mock him. These questions extensively, but, but Jesus never answered. Jesus recognized that words are wasted when the audience rejects truth. I know early in my Christian walk, oh, I was, I was pretty eager to argue with someone about Christianity, and they, they never really got anywhere. You know, arguments about with someone who doesn't believe or they're not going to have a positive outcome. It's important to present truth to them, but if someone rejects truth, you know, our, our argument is not going to change their mind, and it may only drive them further away from God. You see, for a, for a life to be transformed, it has to be God's Spirit working in that person. God can use our words with his, the influence of His Spirit to change people, but our words of themselves are, are not going to have a life-changing impact. It's got to be God working in them as well. So what's with the splendid clothing? Why would, why would he put him in splendid clothing and send him back to, to Pilate? What had his claim been that they were somewhat judging him about? Yeah, he's a king. So this probably was purple clothing. It doesn't say that, but... It's splendid. You know, they're putting him in some royal robes, probably. Um, and this is further mocking him for this accusation that he was a king. Up until that time, Pilate and Herod had been political enemies. So, kind of like a Republican versus a Democrat. But here... This event sparks a friendship between them. In Matthew, he adds this little story here, which I think is very important. It says, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourselves. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. So what additional event does Matthew record? And it's actually prior to this final trial with Pilate. What 
was Judas' attitude? When it says he changed his mind, what what does that mean? Remorse. So what he did was wrong. You can argue whether he was really remorseful or if he was really, really was asking for forgiveness. You can argue all that. I'm not not here this morning, but he thought what he did was wrong and wanted right. to fix it. So the there's a a big difference between remorse and repentance. Correct. That's why I said that I wasn't ready to argue that this morning. Yeah. But with this one verse, I don't think you can argue that. No, this verse doesn't make it clear. At this point, he just thinks that he did something wrong, and he wants to try to fix it by giving it back. Right. Whether he's remorseful or repentance, that's not for me to judge at this point. Right. From this verse, you can't really tell. Elsewhere in Scripture, it's clear that Judas was not a believer. Right. It's clearly explained. So he was not repentant based on the whole of Scripture. From this verse, it it sounds like either remorse or repentance. Um, interpreting it with the rest of Scripture, you've got to come to the conclusion it's remorse. But in apparent remorse, he, he regretted betraying Jesus. And so he goes back to the Jewish leaders, but he doesn't change their mind. They're still going to go forward with their actions. Um, he, he went out and hung himself. Um, in Acts, it's recorded that he fell headfirst to his death from a field that he bought with the betrayal money. So when he, when he threw the money back in the temple, they said, no, we can't take this. And so he ended up buying land with it and hung himself there. Evidently, the, the tree limb broke or whatever, and he fell headfirst and and that killed him. So back into Luke, Pilate then called together the chief priest and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. Pilate's got a pretty strong position, doesn't he? There's no question in his mind that that Jesus is innocent. He recognizes his innocence and he tries to have him released. Um, He said both he and, and Herod found no guilt in him. And he offers to punish him prior to his release. So this is maybe to to defer him from any further offense or or at least to appease the crowd. And then this verse is thrown in. 
Now he was obligated to release one man to them at the festival. Now, your Bible may or may have that in parentheses or a footnote or something. Um, This verse actually was not included in many of the early transcripts. And so the authenticity of it is, is questionable. But both Matthew and Mark mention it. So we know it's a real, it's a real occurrence. So it is a helpful detail, and we're going to discuss it because it's in those other passages as well. So what's this custom the Romans had during this Jewish festival? They're going to let a prisoner release a prisoner. It's like, okay, I know what I can do. As a favor to the Jews, they they released a prisoner at this festival. So Pilate thought, hey, I'll fulfill this obligation by releasing Jesus to them. But the crowd had other ideas. It said, but they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. So how did they respond to this plan to release Jesus? They didn't like it, did they? So they're very vocal in their opposition, and they seek the, the release of this man named Barabbas. Now, Barabbas actually means son of a father. So it may not have even been his real name. Who would name their son, son of a father? I mean, that just seems like a really odd name. But regardless, he was facing execution, and rightly so because he was guilty of murder and and starting this insurrection. Pilate probably thought, there's no way they'll, they'll want Barabbas released versus this guy who's innocent. He did not, he underestimated the hatred they had for Jesus. If he released Barabbas, that potentially causes problems with Rome, because this guy had was a real problem. He had tried to start some insurrection as well as had killed someone. He was a known problem. And then this event happens. It's recorded in Matthew. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. So he gets some confirmation from his wife, right? I don't know about you, but after 30 plus years of marriage, if if Jan has a a comment to me that's kind of contrary to what I was thinking is like, okay, 
I need to really reconsider. I've, I've learned that. I don't always follow it. I'm not that wise, but I've at least learned that, okay, I need to consider what she said because God has given her discernment that oftentimes I don't understand. So he's presiding as judge and his pilot's wife sends him a message. This would be really unusual. You know, even in a courtroom here in the U.S., it's pretty unusual for the judge to get interrupted with a note. I mean, they, they're not answering their phone while they're presiding in court. So Pilate's wife must have really been convinced that Jesus was innocent. In fact, she had dreamed that he was righteous. The source of the dream is not revealed, so you know it, it would just be speculation to try and and explain that. Um, but clearly there was further confirmation to Pilate that Jesus was innocent. So Pilate, addresses, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. So this is his second request to them to release Jesus. How is it different than the first one? What, how does the response look? The first time they said, now release Barabbas. Now what do they do? I mean, they're, they're, they're calling for him to be killed. So they're even more direct in their response. Hatred is often difficult to comprehend. I mean, our country has been plagued by these shootings, it seems like, for the last several years. I mean, the recent one in, what was it, in Nashville, where shooting in a school, it's like, what is the point? Why? would you have that much hatred for these students that you've never, you probably never met? It's just really difficult to comprehend that level of hatred. That's the kind of hatred that these Jews have for Jesus. They want him killed. So a third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. This is his third attempt to release Jesus. He asked him, why, why do you want to kill him? Jesus doesn't deserve capital punishment. He recognizes the innocence of Jesus. He said, look, to, to appease you, I'll punish him. And this would be flogging or scourging. And then I'll release him.
but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. So again, it says they were urgent. I mean, other translations have their insistent mob. Their hatred for Jesus drove them to insist that he be brutally killed. In Proverbs 10, it says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Strife is an understatement for what they've done and would do to Jesus. They have this Barabbas released. So why do you think Pilate gave in to their request? It sounds like he's convinced that Jesus is innocent. Why would he want to condemn an innocent man? He didn't want to write. Yeah. What was his main objective? We gotta we gotta keep things calm here in in Judea. And I got this huge crowd in Jerusalem for this Passover thing, and I don't want any trouble. So You see, he had, his, his sponsor, and, and that's the way their politics worked. You kind of had to have somebody in a high place that promoted you to, to get to certain positions. Well, his sponsor had been this guy named Lucius Sejanus. Well, this guy had poisoned the emperor's son, and the emperor found out about it and had him killed. So he'd lost his sponsor. Also, he had previously had a judgment that was appealed to Rome, and he lost that appeal. So his position in Rome was a little bit shaky. He couldn't afford to have, he couldn't risk having another decision appealed to Rome. So instead of that, look, I'll release Barabbas, and he delivered Jesus over to be crucified. In Matthew, it, it adds that then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. What, what is scourging? Crucifixion is brutal enough, but 
typically before they would be crucified, they scourged them. This was a whip that had pieces of, of bone in the, in the leather straps. And they would brutally whip the back of the victim. Oftentimes, the victim would pass out. Some would even die from scourging. The scourging would, it sometimes would, would reveal internal organs. I mean, it was brutal. The victim then would, when they're nailed to the cross, they would have to, to go up and down on the cross to be able to breathe. And so their back, which is mutilated, is rubbing up against this rough post. I don't think I need to describe it any further. It's, it's a brutal death. So what are some lessons this morning? Jesus stood firm on truth despite intense physical and spiritual persecution. He never wavered, though he was tempted to. Pilate, on the other hand, he gave in to peer pressure And he condemned an innocent man. But then if you look at it from God's perspective, God's plans cannot be thwarted by Satan's influence. Satan had had used Judas. Or by the sinfulness of mankind. What God, what what man meant for harm, God used for good. So some applications. How easily are you swayed from speaking the truth by, by persecution or peer pressure? If I'm scared of how someone's going to respond... Sometimes I'm silent, and that's not the right approach. I need to be more vocal with truth. And then how is faith in our trustworthy God impacting your life? God is trustworthy. He will use the circumstances that we have for his glory and our good. And nothing we encounter is a surprise to God. He knows about it. He knows the circumstances we're in. He knows the pressure we're facing. And he can use it for good. If we will trust him and and follow him. Any comments or questions?
Yes. Yeah, they they were governors over different areas, but other than that, they were they were equals. The ruler, it was a Caesar. I don't know exactly which one, but the the Roman. Uh, it's, it's a Caesar, as we'll learn later. Uh, Paul would appeal to Caesar. Yeah, it was an appeal to Rome, which is what they're trying to avoid here. Jesus knew exactly what he was facing and yes. why. And, and he did because his love to us came in. Yeah. And because his sacrifice gained us eternal life. Yeah. 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 We will we will study that more in more detail next week as we finish this chapter. Yeah, he Jesus, why did he why did he Submit to this treatment. It was for our good and his glory. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his example of trust in you, his example of love for us, that he was willing to, to give his life that we could be redeemed. He took the punishment we deserved so that we could have his righteousness. We could be clothed in his righteousness and have life with you. Father, thank you for the redemption that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us to to share that truth with others that lives can be transformed, that, that you could use your word to draw others to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.